If you work out the cost per, per kilo of nitrogen uh, for your, your can and urea at, at current day prices, you know, there's roughly a euro per kilo uh, in, in the difference. Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. We would really appreciate it if you could listen, follow and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Tillage farmers are once again in the middle of a price cost squeeze with high fertilizer prices and grain close to 25% lower than last year. The major costs on farms tend to be machinery, land and of course fertilizers. The cost of phosphate and potash is substantially higher than last year, with nitrogen close to being the most expensive it's ever been. However, there are hints that the price of nitrogen is easing, but this may not be quick enough for the current growing season. There is currently a large differential in the cost of nitrogen sources, and this may well steer farmers' use this year. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Richie Hackett from Chagas to chat about the use of can or urea as a farmer's main nitrogen source for this year. Richie, just talking about the large price differential between can and urea, do you have any idea why this is the case in 2023? Well, I suppose, Michael, urea is always that little bit cheaper than can, but the, the difference is much bigger this year maybe than, than in previous years. I'm no expert in international fertilizer markets, but my understanding is that can is largely a European product and a lot of it is made in, in Europe or, or Russia, where gas prices were very high last back end when the fertilizer was being made, whereas urea is uh, made all, all around the world. So uh, and it could be made in places where the gas price perhaps wasn't quite as high. So I, I suspect that that has a large part to play in, in the big difference that's uh, involved uh, this year. And, and obviously, we would have heard back in the back end of last year about can product can factories across Europe that had either working on part time or, or not at all, which would have decreased the supply. And, and if you have lower supply, you'll tend to have higher prices as well. OK, and I suppose we do we do have to, I suppose, bear in mind that Fertilizer isn't just made a month in advance, it's probably made six months or even eight months in advance. So it takes takes a while for that to come to come through the system. As you rightly say, the high cost of um of gas back then certainly works into the system. But when it comes to today, just in general terms, in terms of the differential between the price of a kilo of can versus the price of a kilo of urea, where does that stand at the moment? And if you were to maybe um pull that out in terms of a typical farmer maybe switching from can to urea, what sort of cost would that work out on over, say, a larger block of land? Let's just say 100 acres of land. Yeah, well, I, I suppose if, if you work out the cost per, per kilo of nitrogen uh, for your, your can and urea at, at current day prices, you know, there's roughly a euro per kilo uh, in, in the difference. So it depends, obviously, what price you bought your fertilizer at. But if, if we take can, say, at about 810 euros a, a, a ton, that would work out at three euros a kilo for every kilo of nitrogen. And if we take urea at, say, 920 um, uh, euros a, a ton, that would work out at two euros uh, a kilo of, of nitrogen. So that, that's a very substantial uh, difference. In terms of what that would add up to in in, uh, in a block of land, as you said, uh, 100 acres, 40 hectares. If you take a crop of winter wheat that maybe we're putting on 230 kilos per hectare, now you probably wouldn't put it all on as can or urea. You might put, say, 50 of it on with, as, as a compound or something like that. So you'd be putting 180 on as maybe can or, or urea, and you work out the effect of that euro a kilo uh, of nitrogen difference in price 
on the, the overall farm cost of fertilizer, you'd be looking at, you know, over 7,000 euros for, for the, that 100 acre farm, which is a, a very substantial uh, difference uh, in costs. So it obviously means that, that growers really do need to at least consider uh, urea as, as an option for, for, for this season. Holy moly, I hope people are really listening to that. Seven grand over, over 100 acres. That's a, that is a substantial amount of money. Now, people might be listening to that and kind of thinking, yeah, I know it's seven grand, but Jesus, I've used this stuff in the past and it's maybe it hasn't been as effective and you know, we'll get into spreading difficulties in a minute. But are we relatively happy that urea and can work pretty much in the same way and as effective and a grower can expect putting on the same amount of units of each that the yields will be similar? Yes and no. It, it depends. There's there's two types of urea available on the market at the moment. There's sort of normal, what I would call normal unprotected urea. And then there is protected urea, which is urea that has been treated with a, a an inhibitor that, that makes it more effective. And if we're comparing the can with the protected urea, then we would be happy that there's, there's no difference uh, between the two. But I suppose one of the issues with normal urea is that normal urea isn't immediately available to the plant. It has to be broken down into ammonium and nitrate in the soil. And during that process, some of the nitrogen can be lost to the air as ammonia. And, and uh, in, under particular conditions, quite a substantial amount of, of, of the nitrogen can be lost. So, you know, 20, 30 percent isn't uncommon. It's, it doesn't happen every time, but there's that risk uh, present. Uh, and if you do lose uh, some of the nitrogen from the unprotected urea, uh, then it's not going to be as, as effective as can. It can't really be as effective as can if, if some of the nitrogen has gone off in the gone off in the air. Uh, so, uh, what I would say is that the protected urea, the urea with the, the inhibitor on it, is every bit as good as can. But the unprotected urea, there is that risk. Uh, there is that risk there with it in, in terms of uh, you do stand a chance of losing some of that nitrogen from the unprotected urea. Okay, so you're going to get similar yields, but you mentioned there that there's a there's a protection the, on on the urea, or you can buy it with the uh, protectors on it. D- does the protecting bit does that slow down the the, the workability of of urea? Because you also mentioned that you know urea breaks down into ammonia and and nitrate. How by the time it all breaks down, is that are we kind of losing time? I suppose in the growing season, is that not going to work as fast as like it can? No, it, it it will work slower, and, and that's the whole point of of the the inhibitor is to slow down the, the breakdown process. But that's not a that's not really an issue from a crop point of view because if we go out today and put on fertilizer today, the crop isn't going to take up all that fertilizer tomorrow. It's going to take it up over the next two, three, four weeks. So it doesn't need all that fertilizer immediately, and it's probably an advantage that it's actually breaking down a little bit uh, slower. Uh, and that it'll feed the crop that little bit um, more more evenly, if you like. Um, so yeah, I, I I wouldn't see urea as a, a slow release fertilizer. So that the breakdown process starts as soon as the, the granule dissolves on on the ground, and you have some of that nitrogen becoming available quite quickly. And with the protected urea, it it will continue to be to be released over over a period of, of time. So the the Urea isn't isn't prevented from from breaking down into okay. the plant available types. It's it's just slowed down. Okay, so uh, I suppose we, farmers can have this on both sides. Maybe a little bit um, applying urea onto 
uh, very dry ground or even can onto very dry ground, you can often see the, certainly you can see with can, the, the granules on the ground, if it's very dry for, you know, three, even four weeks, you can still see a little bit of that granule on the ground. Is that a worry with urea if it goes onto really dry ground, say onto a, maybe a bit of a dusty kind of ground with spring barley, say, coming up um, and um, it's it's sitting there almost in dust. Is 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 that a worry? Yeah, well, w- one of the problems with the urea is, is that, as I said, some of the, the nitrogen can be lost and the risk factors for that are if you put it onto a, more so onto a wet soil that dries out, that that's the real risk factor. If you put it onto a dry soil and it doesn't actually dissolve, uh, it, 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 it can't actually be lost. It's only during the when it dissolves and starts to, to break down, that, that's when the, the, the loss occurs. So putting it onto a, a moist soil that's going to dry out quite quickly, that's your real high risk um, uh, scenario. Uh, other risk factors would be uh, perhaps a higher pH soils will tend to increase the risk a little bit, but it's not a huge effect because the breakdown process itself actually increases the pH quite significantly just immediately around the granule it doesn't have any effect on on your overall soil ph but just immediately around the granule uh, the soil ph is increased as as, as the granule breaks down uh, so you, you have drying conditions you have um maybe higher ph is a bit of a risk uh, higher temperatures can can be uh, an issue as well in terms of increasing the risk and and also lighter soils will tend to be more at risk than, than heavier soils. If you're using unprotected urea where you have no protect, protection, one of the ways that you can reduce the, the, the risk of loss is if there's some rain coming. Now, not torrential heavy rain, but you know, five to 10 mils in, in the days after you put on the, the unprotected urea that will actually take it into the soil, wash it into the soil, and then that, that will tend to reduce the the, the risk of, of loss of, of nitrogen in, into the air. And there will be farmers out there that will have um, purchased unprotected urea maybe in the back end and, and uh, they, they will be wondering how best to, to use that. And that's probably a tip that, 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 that they can use. Um, but if you have the option, if you're only buying it now, then it would make more sense to, to buy the protected urea and, okay. and, and you, you don't have any risks. Don't forget, if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague, And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And and on on the other side of that, Richie, then, is it if conditions turn out to be very wet, of of course, which they can do in some years, is urea any safer in the soil than can? Not, there's not a huge difference. So there was some work done measuring nitrate leaching um, uh, from from urea and, and can, and there was sort of a small trend towards lower losses of nitrate from urea but it 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 it, it wasn't actually significant so it's it's not really an issue there's not a lot of difference between the two Uh, and where the differences did show up were in the autumn winter period after you've put on the fertilizer not necessarily during the growing period which which is when when you're worried about uh, as as a grower And, and generally when we're putting on our fertilizer in in the growing period that the soil, it, there's never really water flowing down through the soil and out of the soil. Any water that's coming in has been evaporated off by the crop or by the, the atmosphere. Uh, so you're not really getting leaching in, in most years. Uh, now, there will obviously be the odd occasional year where you get a really wet March or April where you may have some leaching. But in general, okay. there would be no great difference between the two, between urea and can in, in terms of, of, of leaching in, in most instances.
All right. And going into specific, maybe uh, premium markets, the likes of malt and barley growers, of which, you know, they have a very set way of doing things. And it's it. And, and if it works to a degree, many would argue um, don't don't change it kind of thing. But uh, if a malt and barley grower was going to switch across to uh, urea, do you think they'll see any different results or would you be happy enough that uh, once used properly with protected urea, that everything should be fine? Yeah, well, we've done a, a, a good few trials. Uh, I, I've done a, a good few here in Oak Park, and so my colleagues in Johnstown Castle have, have done trials comparing can and protected urea on, on spring barley. And, and what we've found is in terms of yield, no difference between the, the protected urea and, and the can. And then the other thing, obviously, uh, malting barley growers would be interested in is the protein levels. And generally, on average, uh, there's, there's no difference in protein levels either. Uh, sometimes, you know, the protected urea can be a little bit higher. And by a little bit, I'm talking maybe 0.2 or 0.3% higher. And sometimes it can be a, a little bit lower than, than can, you know, 0.2 or 0.3 lower. So on average, there's, there's no great difference that the plant sees both the protected urea and the, and the can as, as being the, the same thing. So for farmers, maybe in the past, Richie, they might have used urea. They may well have some reservations about using urea due to the potential of not spreading it probably as well as they might have spread can in the past. Is there any kind of tips that you might have that that that, that farmers can use so that they can try and um, get it as even as possible? Yeah, well, for somebody that hasn't used urea on crops before, that that's the key thing to, to look into before you actually go spreading urea is to First of all, make sure that the machine you have is capable of spreading urea at whatever tramlet widths you're working at. So if you're working at 24 meters, you need to make sure that your machine will actually do that. And uh, then the second thing is to look up what settings are required for your particular machine. So some, some spreaders will need different veins to spread urea. Some of them will need uh, the veins at different angles or it might be different speeds. Uh, there's, a, there's a range of different uh, settings for for that are specific to urea and, and if you go and, and use the same settings as you're using for can type products with urea uh, you can get very poor spreadability and you can end up with stripes in your crops and and that's obviously no, nobody wants to see that and, and so i i would urge all growers if they're going to use urea uh, for for the first time uh, that you check that the, their, their spreader is set up uh, properly. Now, obviously, the, the width that you're spreading at is is hugely important. So, uh, urea is a lot lighter than can; it's less dense, so it's about eighty percent the density. Uh, so, the wider you go, the the bigger the challenge becomes. So, for growers that might be on still on twelve meters or maybe fifteen meter trams, they probably won't have any great difficulty in, in spreading uh, uh, urea type products. But once you go above that, you really do need to. Uh, make sure that your your machine is 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 set up. And I suppose the other thing you need to be really careful of is if you're using uh, some of the urea products that have another nutrient in there. So urea with uh, with potassium or urea with with sulfur. They're often blends of two different fertilizers of a blend with with normal straight urea and maybe uh, some a potash fertilizer or some sulfur fertilizer. There are different densities. And that can be a real challenge to, to spread those evenly because you're trying to spread, you're trying to throw something with, with two different weights. It's often, uh, the, the analogy that's often drawn is you're trying to throw a golf ball and a ping pong ball. Uh, you know, if you throw them with the same force, you'd expect the, the, the golf ball to go that little bit further. Uh, so what you, what can happen with those type products is that uh, 
the, the heavier product can go to the for, further away from the tractor and the lighter product stays near the tractor. And you, even though you might be spreading the granules evenly, you get uh, uh, uneven spreading of, of the nutrients. So those blends, uh, you need to be very careful uh, with spreading those. Okay, so it's really careful calibration of the fertilizer spinner and 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 getting out to uh, measure that in the field as well. Both of those are equally as important. You mentioned sulfur there actually in the way by. Can I ask you about that? Because um, if a grower was, you know, obviously most crops do need a certain amount of sulfur, and we'll come to that in a second. Um, but if a grower is uh, maybe reluctant in taking your advice on board there, and reluctant to use those blended products once to use urea uh, on its own. How or what's the best way then to combine the sulfur or getting the sulfur out in the crop? Because I suppose, look, um, in the past, there would have been lots of products like, uh, uh, you know, can plus plus sulfur. So you would have been kind of getting both of them out at the same time. Yeah, well, that, that can be an issue with, 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 with urea, when you're using urea as, as your main nitrogen source. But there are ways around it. So some people will use a, a compound with sulfur in it, and that will get uh, at least some of their sulfur, maybe all their sulfur, depending on, on the compound that they're using. Then there's the, the possibility of, of using um, other uh, fertilizers that have sulfur in it, so the, the likes of, of sulfate of uh, ammonia or, or ASN. Uh, so th- those two products can, can supply your sulfur uh, reasonably economically. Um, and then you have other products that are more or less specific sulfur uh, fertilizers, the likes of keyserite or polysulfate, which uh, c- can uh, supply your, your 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 sulfur as well. So there, there are a number of ways of of getting the sulfur on. It just requires a little bit more thought than say using your normal sulfur can or or, or something like that. Uh, but but it 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 ca- it can be done. Okay, plenty of options out there. But I suppose maybe the key word there is to to make sure that um, you don't wait for the last minute because probably some of those products that you talked about there, the likes of ammonium sulfate and keyserite or, or polysulfate that mightn't be in all merchant yards at all times. So you might have to order those in maybe. So just be aware of that as well. Just Richie, uh, one question there as regards to, is there any time difference uh, between when you might apply urea versus can or look, they're going to pretty much work pretty much the same and, and same time as it will work out? Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't see any reason to to, to change your, your your timings. Uh, as I say, the, the the urea becomes available relatively quickly to the crop. Um, it's it's often thought of as a slow release fertilizer, but it actually breaks down reasonably quickly. So and it'll break down more quickly than the crop actually uh, can take it up, particularly for early applications. So I I wouldn't see any reason to make any drastic changes to your to your your your, your timings. Okay. I, I suppose one thing that that growers uh, might be conscious of is if you're using unprotected urea, the later you go uh, with with your your splits, the more likely you are to hit uh, those drying conditions that I mentioned are, are are increasing your your risk of loss. But if you're using the protected urea, uh, then that that's not really a, an issue at all. Richie, just in terms of that loss, in, if a, a grower made a bit of a hames of it or just got stuck or whatever and ended up applying in the worst of all conditions, what sort of, what would be the potential loss from an application of urea? Well, I suppose in, in terms of, of, of kilos of nitrogen, if, if you were, uh, you, you, you could look in, in terms of percentage, you, you could look, as I said, maybe 20, 30 percent or in real extreme conditions, it can actually be more than that, but normally it wouldn't be. Uh, but sort of normal losses with, uh, again, all this is with unprotected urea, you know, 10 to 15% is, wouldn't be uncommon. 
Uh, and in terms of yield, then it, it's difficult to put a figure on it, but we, we've often shown uh, yield reductions of, of, you know, half to a, a tonne per hectare, that, that sort of uh, ballpark. But it really depends on, on how much nitrogen you do lose, if you do lose it at all. So try and avoid those conditions, uh, really, that's, that's the key word there. Final one I want to ask you, Richie, is around um, the, I suppose, the, the spend on nitrogen this year is going to be quite large, even if you're using urea. And I suppose, the, given the fact that, 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 that the price of grain or the, the selling price of grain is probably off maybe 25%, 80 to 80 euros a ton, or maybe a little bit somewhere there, thereabouts, very much a price squ- a price cost squeeze at the moment. In terms of maximizing the return for every kilo of nitrogen, should growers be thinking about reducing the overall nitrogen so that they maximize that return? They should, but I suppose the tricky bit is is working out exactly how much they should do it uh, because it really depends on the, the relative fertilizer the relative nitrogen cost and, and 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 the grain price that they're going to get and, and many growers may not know their their nitrogen cost yet and they probably almost definitely won't know their their, their grain cost or the grain value at the value they're going to sell the grain at, at harvest and, and you really need both of those to to get an accurate figure but sort of the numbers that we we are looking at at the minute with current uh, predicted uh, green grain prices and, and current fertilizer prices, you'd be looking at, at reducing anything between maybe about uh, 15 kilos per hectare where, where you have using a cheaper version of, of nitrogen, maybe right up to uh, 40 kilos uh, of nitrogen per hectare where, where you have uh, expensive fertilizer, fertilizer that you, that's costing you maybe three euros a, a kilo. So, so it, it's quite a big range and it's really difficult to give uh, an accurate uh, number because we don't really know what the grain price is going to be. And the fertilizer market is obviously changing qu- quite rapidly as well. So it, it's, it's a difficult to give a definite answer. Certainly lots to think about there. And, and I suppose uh, every advisor out there will have a bit of a, a ready reckoner table for when people kind of get closer to that. And I think we were discussing it before, Richie, whereby um, it might be towards the last uh, application of nitrogen, whether it's on on some of the barleys or the winter wheats that you might uh, consider consider that final decision whether you use less uh, at that stage we saw that from last year people a lot of people decided to reduce their fertilizer at the first when they were starting but then as grain price increased they were able to uh, increase go back in and put on a little bit more and, and that option is still there this year as well to make delayed decision you don't have to make that decision today you can make it a bit later on in the season richie delighted uh, to, to get that information i think you've given farmers a huge amount to think about uh, and certainly not just to, to think about from their pocket, but from, from machinery and some operations as well. So again, thanks very much for your time. And look, we'll have you back again. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. So that's it for this week. And my thanks to Richie for joining me on the podcast. Don't forget to go along to one of the remaining winter crop walks, which continue this week in Dublin, Kilkenny, Kildare and Donegal, to hear the latest about fertilizer, herbicide and fungicide advice for winter crops this year. For more information, go to chagas.ie forward slash tillage month. Finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.